Okay, so if you've got a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn or just take the front of your book, uh, Acts chapter 2, right the front page. Uh, keep where you are in chapter 3, but I want us to have a look at Acts chapter 2, and uh, we're going to be reading, I know they don't have verse, verse, 40, verse 44, it says, and all who believe, do we see that in our booklet? So from verse 44, and I'm in the, uh, the English, there we go, is it working? All right, so I want to read this to us because this morning we're starting on when disciples gather. Doesn't that's great? Don't you think that's a great name for a movie? When disciples gather. There's that anticipation in what's going to happen in this gathering. And uh, we, we understand that on the day of Pentecost, when they gathered, some amazing stuff happened. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were given supernatural ability to speak, speak earthly language that they were never able to speak. And 3,000 people came to Christ. Can you imagine how long that line of baptism was? Can you imagine what Peter thought? How am I going to baptize 3,000 people? <laughs> but that's, that, is, that, is, that is a group of people that come together because God tells this group, go and wait until you are endowed with power till you receive power. He's speaking to a missional community. He says, I want to just show you your mission on the earth, but you're not going to be able to do this alone. You need my power in order to tell people about the good news. So this group goes, and they go wait. They're not knowing what to expect. Thank you very much. They're not knowing what to expect, but they gather together, and the birth of the New Testament church takes place. And a few, few, few years later, we find in Acts chapter 2, or a few weeks later, I'm not really sure what the timeline is here, but we read this. Of these people that didn't know each other, that had come together, and that were, uh, were, were, were sitting amongst the, 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 the apostles that had been with Jesus. And we understand that why, why were they together? Well, they were together because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There was specific doctrine that they were taught. That they were being taught the mission that Jesus wanted them to take further. They did fellowship. They spent time together. They did breaking of bread, which means they did communion on a regular basis. They remembered the starter of the movement, which was Jesus, and they remembered him every time they got together. Thinking about the way that he died on the cross. Thinking about what he had done. Can you imagine the, the, the stories and the yarns that you were, you were getting from the apostles being sharing? Oh, I remember that day when we went down that village. Because remember, not everything that Jesus did is in Scripture. There were a lot of other stories that had taken place. And there's this community happening, and, 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 and this encouraging happening. They, 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 they prayed together. And the Bible says that all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs would be done through the apostle. Now, a wonder and a sign is when God steps into a situation, and we wonder what he's going to do, and when he does it, we kind of say, did you see that sign? How, 
How often do you and I come together in a gathering like this expecting wonders and signs to manifest? How many of us have been in the week reading Scripture and God tells you, I want you to bring this word of encouragement to the church on Sunday? And we sit down and we prepare and we write it down. Now, I want to tell you a story. I was in a church many years ago. I was the worship leader. And I might have told this before, but for those that haven't heard it, hopefully it's a new story to you. And I'm standing, and it's, it's going towards the end of the song. And I'm standing, and I see a piece of gum on the carpet. Now, I know I should be praying, but I'm, I'm, my eyes are open, and you know, you're thinking, okay, end song, the team is going to go up, and you're kind of thinking how you're going to go about with this. But I see this piece of gum on the carpet. So anyway, my first instinct is, oh my goodness, somebody's going to step on this thing and it's going to be squished in, get squished into the carpet and then we're going to have to try and get it out. So I'll just, under prayer, jump down, pick it up. I didn't have a tissue, so I just used my hand. Picked it up and I thought, well, I'll, I've got to get rid of the summer, but, you know, but it's got to be picked up. So I jumped up and I always tell people, it's the first time in my life that a piece of gum started speaking to me. So I pick up this piece of gum and I, I, I look at this gum, and as I feel the Spirit of God telling me, what do you have in your hand? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for a rebuke here, because I should have been praying. And I said, well, God, it's a piece of gum. He says, yeah, what is a piece of chewed up gum worth? worth? I said, nothing, exactly. I said, because the person that took it eventually has eaten out all the flavor, and it's, it doesn't taste great no more, and therefore they just discard it. I don't know who got discarded in the middle of the, of the church, but somebody got rid of it. And I said, that's it. He says, yeah, that's the way I feel about you. Who's heard about a rebuke? And now I'm talking to God saying, but you know, I'm great. I lead worship. I lead, I lead youth groups. I, 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 um, I pray. I, I do this. And I am contemplating all the stuff that I do for Jesus. How, how can you call me a piece of worthless gum, Lord? I don't get this. So anyway, so what I did, what a good Christian boy did, I started repenting. I said, Lord, I'm so sorry, and I'm going to change my ways. And that was great. And God said, that's not enough. And I said, Lord, I don't understand. He says, you need to make restitution. And I, I'll, never, I'll never forget this. He said to me, you've been feeding people foul, polluted water during worship. He says, you're going on your talent. He says, you just choose a few quick songs quickly. You don't pray about them. I just want to say, this is not aimed at the music team at all. All right. Everyone's saying, is he hinting? I'm not hinting. This, is, this happened to me. So I said, okay, Lord, uh, who must I say sorry to? And he said to me, to the whole congregation. Now, it's easy to repent, isn't it? Lord, I'm sorry. But what do you do when you've got to say sorry to everybody in church? So I said, okay, Lord, um, I'm going to figure, I'll, 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 I'll phone everyone. He says, no, I want you to do it right after, before you do the, 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 the closing of the last song. I said, you mean on stage? He said, yep. Now, you've got to understand turmoil. So I get up, 
As, as the pastor is busy praying, when he opens, he says, I'm there. And he turns up and he looks at me and he says to me, oh, do you have a word for us, brother? And I said, yeah, sort of. <laughs> he says, oh, come everybody, let's sit down. You know, Pastor Jake is going to share a word with us. And I thought, oh my word, they're all expecting I'm going to encourage them. And here I come and I just open my heart. And through the tears and the stutters, I just ask the church to forgive me. The next minute, I see tears start running in the church, just tears. People just starting to cry. I see people start going to each other and reconciling relationships. Things that have been problematic for years in the church. And we kind of have church again. At the end of the church, we have church again. And God just does something miraculously amongst us. But how did it start? It started by me picking up a piece of gum. Practical thing. Then being addressed by the Spirit. Then me reacting on what the Spirit has said to me. So that God can do something corporately. So if you ever see a piece of gum, pick it up or don't. <laughs> and I really want us to understand that all those who were together believed and had all things in common. There was a missional attitude. God wants to do something for us individually, but God wants to do something for us corporately. And we're going to be looking at what our missional communities this morning. And they were set, selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes and received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is what missional communities look like. We learned in session one that Jesus says to us as a body of believers, come and follow me and make disciples. Secondly, in session two, during our Bible, uh, Discovery Bible reading, we, we came together last Sunday during communion and we encouraged, we shared our lives. We're open to the Holy Spirit that, to learn from him and ask him where we need to go in this coming week. Remember the SOS that we did last week? What does the first S stand for? What's it saying? What's the second one? What must I obey? What's the third one? Who must I share a portion of the scripture with? And we need to keep each other accountable, as we'll see today. I can come to Dave and say, okay, Dave, so who did you share scripture with us? Who did you pray with this week? And if he says, well, I didn't do it, I said, well, brother, I'm not going to convict you about this. I'm not going to upset with you. But let's pray that this week God will give you boldness to step into that place where you share Scripture or you just share a, a, a passage out of Scripture. Okay? Is that good? Remember, that's what the SOS. If we're not going to impl implement these different tools that we talk about every week, at the end of this series, we're just going to say, Got this, I've done the series, I've put it away, and we're going to forget it, and our life, we're going to have no life change. So it's important for us to implement. Who are, you, who are you praying about? 
that needs to, to hear Jesus? Who are you sharing Scripture with? Who are you sharing your life with? So today we're going to ask with whom is a missional or with whom is a missional community made up 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 with up of? I don't know how to say that. With whom is a missional community made up of? Is that good English? I don't know how to say that. I want to say. What does a community look like? Who are the people that it's made up of? That's what I'm trying to say. Trying to, and, and this scripture will kind of explain my inadequacy in that title there. But I'm writing to you, little children, because you, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. This is speaking about new converts. People that are just starting out their, 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 their relationship with Jesus. They, they're amazed at the forgiveness that they've received. You also find these guys are like wildfire. You know, it's an exciting time. I'm forgiven. Jesus loves me. And I still make a lot of mistakes, but he loves me. You know, I, 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 make, I, make, I, I, still, I still do some bad stuff, but he loves me. There's this amazing feeling of being forgiven. The next step of maturity, he says, I'm writing to you. Well, not that one there. Uh, I'm writing to you, young men and women, because you have overcome. Okay, actually, let's go right to the bottom one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. So it's, it's little children. It's then children. Children are, are, are places more, more uh, uh, emphasis upon the relationship of dependence. In other words, children uh, has more an emphasis on the child's immaturity and the need for instruction. Okay, a little, a, a little toddler, it's very difficult to teach them how to drive their car, the car. But a child, you can say, okay, this is how you start the car. And this is, what, these are, this is the gear shift. And these, this is, you can do some instruction with a child that they'll get. Doesn't mean they can drive the car yet. But they kind of know where everything is. They know how to, that you unlock the car with a little button or with a, with a, with a key. There's that instruction that takes place. Then he goes on and he says, I'm writing, um, I'm writing to you, young men and women, because you have overcome the evil one. This is the next step of maturity. Little children, then we have children, then we have young men and women. These are men and women who are no longer children, but are still not yet fathers who are strong and have experience. Uh, they've, got, they've experienced some spiritual victories and they have made place for the word in their lives. All of a sudden they understand that the word is important. In other words, they don't hear instruction only. They hear instruction, and then they act on that instruction. Have you seen children? How many times have children said, oh, I forgot? Young men and women make, make, make plans not to forget. They start understanding the importance of the instruction, and they, li they, they live out that instruction. And then he speaks lastly about people that are being mature. He speaks about, I speak to you fathers and mothers because you know him. Are you seeing the progression here? You know him who is from the beginning. You know him. You understand God. You know who God is. Your life is no longer about yourself. You're completely dedicated to him. It's all about God. You've got to figure out his purposes for your life. You put your will one side. Like Jesus says, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass. But not my will, your will be done. That's a maturity level that we, we attain towards, where it, it's all about Jesus. It's no longer about my comfort. It's more about the character that he is working and developing on the inside of me. Long spiritual standing. They've been there for a while. And I want to say something. Do not look at this little children, children, young men and fathers 
in, a, in, in, in the spectrum of age. You can have a father and a mother, and you can be 15 years old. You can, you can understand God. You've got a maturity about God. You've pushed into the Word. You're a, you're, wherever you go, God does stuff. And you're only 15. Or you're only 17. So this has got nothing to do about age. In other words, it doesn't mean well, when I'm 60, I'm going to be... I'm going to be these guys, these writing to you, fathers or mothers, because of my age. Age has got nothing to do with spiritual maturity. Stepping into God's Word and applying God's Word on a consistent basis matures you, not the fact that you're getting older. That's why uh, at the youth at the moment, the verse that they're doing is saying, do not let people look down upon your youth, but be an example in action, in purity. In love. So we don't look down upon young people. And that's why in, 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 the, in, in the church, we need to let young people and children have their voice. Because out of the voice of babes, perfect praise is brought. We don't only listen to the old people. We have sometimes have to take a step back and say, what do you think God is saying? And this person is 10 years old. And they might come out with some amazing revelations. Is this making sense? That's why we have to look at all age groups and ask, where are their maturity levels? And making disciples is this process that we have to look for. So a few weeks ago we said that because the Holy Spirit is the very basis of our life in Christ and our connection to God, a missional community is completely covered over by the power of the Holy Spirit. No matter your maturity level, you still have the fullness of the Spirit. You don't have more of the Spirit because you're older. You have more of the Spirit because you're more obedient to when God speaks to you. The maturity level is obedience, not age. He goes on to say, we've received unlimited power to do God's work on earth. Now think about the day of Pentecost. These people received this wonderful opportunity to be able to speak in other languages. What would have happened if Joe Soap in the corner said, well, I don't believe this is from God. And he sat and he didn't say a word. Do you think there was a, a bit of faith? Or do you think God just picked these people up and floated them out of the room, put them down and got them to talk? Or do you think that these people, when they received the power, when they received the ability to do it, that they had to do what? They had to open their mouths. They had to walk to people. They had to be bold and say, listen, I'm going to go to this guy and or I'm just going to say these funny words. That I don't have a clue what I'm saying right now, but I'm going to say this to Dave. And I begin with your praat in Afrikaans and you verstaan nie wat ek sê nie. And I'm kind of thinking, what am I saying to this guy? And Dave's kind of saying, yeah, I, I agree, I need Jesus. And I'm thinking, I must have got that right somehow. So we have to understand, sometimes we look romantically at these stories in the Bible and thinking, oh, they just kind of happened magically. No, they happened. Why? Because people were willing to step out in boldness and, not, and, and count themselves as ambassadors, as, as people on mission 
making a difference in the lives of people around them because they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've received unlimited power to do the mission that Jesus has set forth in their lives. Does this make sense? Remember, I said from the beginning, being missional is not an attitude. It's an action. Being a discipler is not an attitude. It's an action. You make disciples. How? By showing the way you live and by using your words and speaking to people. That's the only way that people mature in Christ is when somebody comes alongside and says, this is the way you need to go. Follow me, fellowship. Follow me as I follow Christ. Does that make sense this morning? It's this action thing that we have to do. So, what happens when... So that kind of tells you who the missional community... Do we kind of know what a missional community is now? Okay, it's a, it's a family. It's a family that comes together on mission. So life builders, we're a missional community, and we're, we, we have a purpose. We have a mission. What is that? To disciple people that will disciple people. To start house churches, to impact our communities. These are our missions, and we're going to be working through how to do that in the coming weeks. All right, so what happens when a missional community gets together? Well, we allow each other to use their unique gifts and abilities, or gifts and talents. And um, we have to understand that sometimes little children, people that are not as mature in the Lord, are going to be wanting to do certain things, and other people are going to be wanting to do other things. Okay? So do the mature in the Lord get bent out of shape when this person quotes the wrong scripture, out of context? Or what do we do? Well, the Bible says now there are a variety of gifts. These are spiritual gifts. I think there are 12 of them in scripture, or 14, I'm not sure, depending how you want to, 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 to uh, uh, categorize them. But there are spiritual gifts that you've been given that get empowered by the Spirit of God. Now, if, if you've received a gift from the Lord, it's very frightening to use it the first time. Because we always got this thing, what if I get it wrong? Well, if you get it wrong, those that are maturing the faith are going to help you. They're not going to criticize you. They're not going to tell you, just keep quiet next time, please, mate. You don't know what you're doing. No, we develop. All of us that work and you start a new business, work in a new, in a new company... The first thing they do with you is called orientation. They orientate you about how the systems work, how the company works, who's in charge, who do you relate to, who do you not speak to, what are the protocols. And when you become a born-again believer, the same needs to apply. We need to take people through orientation. That's why we do discipleship booklets to teach people, what, now that you're a Christian, these are kind of the expectations, and you don't have to get them all right this week. But we want to help you transition from little child into old guy, into maturity. That's what we want to do. And we, we allow the variety of gifts to, to manifest. If I were to ask you right now, Dave, Dave, I want you to prophesy. You might look at me and say, uh, can you give me a week? But if I were to go to somebody that's got the gift of prophecy and say, listen, what does the Lord say to us right now? They'll say, let me just hear from the Father. The Lord is saying the following. Bang, 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 bang. 
Why? Because they've developed that gift. You see, we're, we're sometimes we're so unsure about what gifts we have and how do we use them. And the biggest thing that I find in the church is that people are afraid to use their gifts because they're going to be wrong. They don't want to be wrong. You know what? It's okay to be wrong. Joel, remember when you started out learning piano? I mean, you just walked behind and the Spirit of God came upon you and you, played, you, you just played a concerto, didn't you? Did you hit a few bad notes in your practice time? Did we ever go to Jill and say, Jill, you played the wrong chord, please. You've got to do this properly for God. Or did we just say, so what? It's okay. But you're trying. You're practicing your craft. And we have to practice our spiritual gifts. They don't just appear and disappear. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come upon us and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit speaks. No, we've got to hear from the Spirit and we've got to actively participate in the presenting of the gift. But the same Spirit. You see, we have a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services. They're different departments. God wants to use in a different, in a different area. A person that's got the gift of hospitality they 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 gotta they gotta given be given an opportunity to be hospitable at your home group or at church. It's a gift. And if you've received the gift, you might start out and doing it wrong in the beginning, but as you grow <coughs> with your gift, guess what? You're gonna become better at it. They are also the same Lord, and there are the varieties of activities. But it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So God's saying that I've given these activities, I've given these services, I've given these gifts through my Spirit so that everybody can benefit. So what we're really saying is, Adam, we need your gift. Paul, we need your gift. Ica, we need your gift. Joel, we need your gift. Because without it, we're poorer. Does that make sense? It's not competing. It's complementing. <coughs> we complement each other. When Andrea can do something great, and <coughs> Nathan is clueless. Does that now mean, oh, Nathan, oh. No, Nathan's got another ability. And we, 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 we use both abilities. We don't get rid of the one because the other one can't do anything. So here's some practical examples. <coughs> one will sing. Another will teach. Another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues. And the other will interpret what he said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. Once again, we do all these things not to elevate ourselves. We do it to benefit the group. Now, if you look there, singing and teaching, these are abilities. You have the ability to do it. But telling some revelation, that's a spiritual ability. So God is saying both are needed in the church. He goes on. He says, others will preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Um, we, we, and now, here's, here's the thing. We're going to touch on this a little bit this morning. And we reprove, we rebuke, and we exhort with complete patience and teaching in order to help each other from turning away and not listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. Okay. 
So the preaching there again, some people can preach. But here's something that I find is sometimes a bit of a, uh, we don't go here as a church. We're too afraid to go to the reprove, rebuke, exhort. Because a lot of people think exhorting is saying, oh, you're awesome. That's not really what exhorting means. So I kind of thought, I'm going to look at the Greek here this morning quickly. So reprove means to convict someone of their error. Was I convicted of my error with that piece of gum? Yeah? God said to me, you need to stop what you're doing. You need to do it better. You're just holding on to your talent. And it's good to get everybody to sing. But I want to move through the music when you lead worship. So choose the songs I want you to choose. So there was this reproof. <coughs> now, looking at gossip in the church, Matthew 18 tells us how to handle conflict. He says that when somebody has a problem with you, you go to them and you sort it out. You don't go tell Dave that you and Jill have a, a, a bit of a problem. It's not what it's about. I go to, go to Dave and say, Dave, here's a problem, let's sort it out. If we can't get it sorted out, I can then go to Jill and say, Jill, will you go with me to Dave? Because I'm really trying to rectify this relationship. The Bible says if that doesn't work, you take the eldership with to that person. And then lastly, if there's no repentance, well, then you treat them as a, the Bible says, as a tax collector. Not that we have anything against tax collectors. We love the ATO. But I think the important thing for us to understand here that there's a process to work through conflict in a church. All right? So if we look at 2 Timothy, says, uh, if we look at uh, 1 Timothy 5, I don't have it on there. It's just here. Yeah. 1 Timothy 5, 19, it says, Don't listen to a complaint against a leader that isn't backed up by two or three responsible witnesses. You've got to understand, Scripture says in, 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 in Matthew 18, by two or three witnesses. It's got to be grounded. I can't just make a comment about Lyle. <clears throat> There's got to be witnesses that says, you know, Lyle, we have been picking this up. We need to talk about this. <coughs> Can somebody bring me some water, please? Thanks, Joel. <coughs> <clears throat> so verse 21 if anyone falls into sin call that person on the carpet those who are inclined that way will know right off that they cannot get away with it this is out of the message kind of just puts it very plainly but we do it with all patience. We do it with all love. We don't go, go to somebody and reprove them to upset them. Paul says we reprove in order that they might repent. That's why we do it with patience. We don't start rumors. We don't cause havoc. We go to the person that we have the problem with and sort it out privately. Can I have an amen in the house? Thank you. Rebuke. The word implies a sharp, severe scolding with a possibility, a suggestion, or in some cases, of an impending penalty. Now, if you go to Matthew 15, we find Jesus 
shares with the disciples that it's, he's going to go to the cross. And we pick this up in Matthew 15, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Thank you, John. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So he rebuked him. He scolded him. Think about this. Peter scolding Jesus. You're not going to die. You're not going to leave us. You had too much pizza. This is not from God. But Jesus turns and says to Peter, get to behind me. And he does this publicly. He doesn't do this. He does it publicly. He says, get you behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And is that not what happens sometimes, that we get bent out of shape in churches because we're not having our way? We want things to go a certain way, and it's not going that way because God's got a different agenda. God is saying, this is not what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And then because we are not tuned in with God, we don't understand why Things aren't going our way, and we get bent out of shape in the flesh. Like a Peter. Peter going to Jesus and, and you know, just you know, uh, rebuking Jesus, saying, you're not going to die. But he doesn't perceive that there's a, a resurrection. I think he gets stuck on, he's going to be killed. He doesn't hear the thing, and I'll be raised on the third day. <clears throat> because Peter doesn't want to lose his, his band of brothers. He doesn't want to lose this nice little fellowship thing. Because here's the thing. If Jesus leaves, who's going to take over the leadership? Who's going to be in charge? Who's now going to lead us? And we find a very interesting thing. When Jesus does die, they all go back fishing. Nobody takes up the, nobody takes up the leadership role. The only leadership role Peter takes up is saying, I'm going back fishing. And he doesn't hold true to the mission that has been shared with him for three and a half years by the Son of God. Guys, we're going to take the world. Now, I'd rather go back to what I'm comfortable with. I want to go back fishing. That's easier. But yet on the day of Pentecost, when he receives the, the infilling of the power of, of the Spirit, Peter gets up and he preaches a message and if you go look at it, it's not a fantastic sermon. It's literally, literally just a historical overview of what's happened. And people just, how can we join this thing? How can we become part of this thing? We want to be part of this mission. Please, 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 how do we get born again? How do we get saved? Please let us be part of this thing. What a change. Peter gets it. I've got to become a fisher of men. Fishing for fish is what I did. Fishing for men is what I do now. So that rebuke that sometimes we have to do with one another, it's not easy, it's not, it's not comfortable, but sometimes it's necessary. I don't like being rebuked. Who likes being rebuked? You know, it's, it's sometimes quite easier if somebody rebukes me. <clears throat> 
But when I've got to rebuke somebody, you're going to think, I don't want to do this. How do I, how do I, where do I even start? But it's part of being a discipler. There are times that we need to rebuke. And then lastly, exhortation. Exhortation really takes these three words together. And it's, the first is the conviction of error, which is the reproof. The rebuke is the forsaking of error. So this is the way exhortation works. Listen, I'm going to talk about this thing. Then it's your responsibility to sort this thing. And then lastly, if you don't sort this thing, something worse can happen to you. Now let's go to John 5, if you've got your Bibles. John 5. Now this is a beautiful story of healing. But the problem with this is that it's got a kind of a, it's got a tail to it that kind of catches you. And you think, this doesn't, this doesn't really, it's not a nice way to end the story. So if we're in John 5, we're reading from verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Verse 13. And the man who had been healed did not know who he was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. So this man has been healed by Jesus, and he doesn't know who did it. Okay? Now let's listen to this. Verse 14. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Okay? So the sickness has been removed. Then he goes on, sin no more. That's the rebuke. Don't sin. And then what happens? Exhortation. If you're going to keep on sinning, that nothing worse may happen to you. Bitterness is a strange thing. It starts with unforgiveness, and then it becomes bitter. Because we do not let go of the unforgiveness. We don't go to Dave and say, Dave, please, there's something wrong, brother. Let's sort this out. We, we, and, I, and I've said this before, sometimes what we do with these things that we're supposed to do, we, we, we sweep them under the carpet, and we've got this huge big thing in the middle of the lounge. We know it's there. We trip over it every time we walk past it. But we, we, we tell ourselves it doesn't exist. We have to confront things so that worse may not happen to you. Be a, be a quick forgiver. You know, just, just forgive quickly. Because you do not want Satan to get a foothold and turn that into bitterness. Because once you start becoming bitter, to, to get away from bitterness is tough. It's tough. Because the reason why we reprove, repro- uh, we rebuke, we exhort, is so that we don't allow dis- new disciples to get wandered off into myths. Figments of our own imagination. I think it's 1 Corinthians 10 says, uh, you, we've got to pull down strongholds in our minds. Don't allow these things to manifest. Don't allow them to fester. Don't allow them to become strongholds in your life. Rebuke them. Get rid of them. Work them out of your life. And this is what missional community is about. The church has the right to ask, so how are you doing? How are you really doing? 
please don't lie to me. It's not going great with you. Come on. Just come, just come clean. Let's just be transparent here. Look at somebody and say, this is easy because I have the Spirit of God in me. Missional communities. We're on mission. Dave, I'm on mission with you. Jill, I'm on mission with you. Anthony, I'm on mission with you. I want you to do well, brother. I want you to do well. And I want you to keep me accountable. I want you to look me in the eye and say, so what scriptures did you read this week, Jake? Tell me about them. And if I haven't read any scriptures, that you'll have the grace and say, well, let's read a scripture together right now. We don't condemn. We disciple. Remember, this is not condemnation. We're not condemning you. For, there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ. This is just able to, the reprove, rebuke, and exhort is just tweaking our lives. Because sometimes we fall into myth. We fall into, we fall into things that we know are wrong. And sometimes we need somebody just to come along and say, and look you in the eye and say, this looks a little bit suspect in your life, don't you think? Are you judging me? No, I'm loving you. I'm loving you. I want it to go well with you. Let's address this thing, because we don't want this thing to be, become worse. Is that good? Okay, uh, let's go to the next slide. Michel Communities treat everyone with honor and respect. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, <coughs> where would the body be? As it is... There are many parts, yet one body. So here's the one thing about missional church. It can become messy. Because you have little children, you have children, you have young men and women, and you have old men and women. And all want to stake their claim in a service. We've had this. Oh, we, we, we only want to sing hymns. Oh no, we've got to get more contemporary. Oh, we've got to raise our hands. No, we need silence. Other people say, can't we bring flags into the church and run around and, and just wave flags to the Lord? Young people say, that'll be cool. <laughs> Old people say, don't be daft. You, know, you need to know your place. So it's messy. It's messy. But God has arranged the members in the body. God has arranged you in this church to flourish and to grow and to disciple me. I need to be discipled by you too. As I try to disciple you, you need to disciple me. It's your responsibility to disciple me. Just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean that I, I have it all. I've got all knowledge. What I've realized, the longer I'm in ministry, the more I realize, the less I know. Does that make sense? Because I just realized, Lord, there's so much more that I can learn. I know so little. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. God has arranged them. So here's the example that he's saying. Listen, in this messiness that we can have in missional communities, we have to understand that the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor can, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the part of the body that seems to be weaker are indispensable. In other words, those people that, 
that we sometimes just say, oh, won't they grow up? They're little children. Allow them to be little children. Allow them to, you know, to be all in awe of forgiveness and still get stuck on the habits that they're on. We don't, we don't judge their habits. We, re- we respond to their habits and say, well, let's have a look at these habits. How are they beneficial to you? And if I can throw in some counseling here, we do some Socratic questioning. We look at the evidence. We question the questions. We ask people, why, why do you think you're stuck in this thing? How did you get stuck in it? What strengths do you have available to get out of this bad habit? But we do that at church through exhortation, through rebuke, and through through uh, the other one, the other R. So it's important that we understand that we cannot say to those that are not on our level yet. I'm saying that a little bit facetiously. My level, you know. You'll still get to where I am one day. That just shows me that you're actually not as, as high as you think you are. <laughs> and to those part of the body we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. In other words, we show more patience to the little children and the children and the young men and women that aren't getting it right like the old dudes yet. We spend more time on them. We give them more honor. We give them more respect and say, at least you're trying. But you know what? Let me show you. There is a better way to fix this tire. We do it the following way. Have you ever thought about that? And we disciple. Our unpresented parts are treated with great modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. If you're, if you're, if you're mature in the Lord and you understand God loves you, and somebody says something poor about you or badly about you, you just say, Lord, I know what you think of me. I'm not going to make a fight out of this thing that this person thinks of me. I'm not going to get bent out of shape and lose my cool. And I'm going to get them back. You just wait. I'm going to wait for the right time. And I'm going to make you look so bad. No, that's little children think like that. Mature people say, all right, there is a disagreement. You don't agree with me. Let's move on. Let's just move on. I don't need to make a battle zone out of everything that I disagree with Dave. It's okay for me not to agree with Dave with everything. Because God, at the end of the day, will show me whether I'm right or wrong, or whether Dave is right or wrong. And it's not about that. It's about are we, are we, are we exhorting, are we saying, Dave... Is this beneficial to our spiritual growth together? Well, actually, me taking your spot every week because I know I can push your button that way, um, maybe I should stop doing that because I know I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get you bent out of shape. Or the mature guy will just say, oh, I'll just park in another spot. And then Dave doesn't know what to do with that. Why is he not getting bent out of shape? We become mature. So here's a great illustration on this whole point, speaking about the, the people that are unpre- the unpresentable parts. 
amongst us, the immature ones, the ones that are, you know, that are still doing the wrong stuff, um, which is okay. We've got to just disciple them. In the world of the Maasai, Mara, and Kenya, you find that the zebras and the wildebeest always migrate together to the Serengeti. And uh, I, I, I read this up. There's a good reason. The two massive herds travel together because zebras have a good eyesight but a poor sense of smell. The wildebeest have bad eyesight but great smell. So by traveling together, both are less vulnerable to predators. So the one's weakness is complemented by the other one's strength. So God makes animals and he makes human beings with different sets of weaknesses and strengths. He makes people the same way. God made us to be dependent not only on him but also on one another. The Apostle Paul elaborated on this idea in his letter to the church in Corinthians. As members of the body of Christ, we all have different gifts and abilities, but we work together for the same purpose. We're on mission. We're on mission. We are vigilant to address any division that Satan may want to instigate amongst us. God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. We've spoken about that. That there may be no division. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's missional. That's missional. We rejoice together. We suffer together. We don't blame Dave because he created the suffering. We go to Dave and say, Dave, let's talk about the suffering that you've created. Why did you create it? What were you thinking? Let's talk about this. Let's be open. And we chat. Thank you, Jill, for shaking your head up and down. (laughs) Now, why do I say all these things this morning? Because in our first session, we said... Can you go to the next slide for me, please, Micah? Next one, please. You are God's temple, and God's Spirit dwells in you. What does that mean in missional community? In missional living? Living together as a purposeful church family? What does that mean? You're God's temple. That the Spirit dwells in you. Do you think that if, Dave, next time you want to park in my parking, that the Spirit's going to say, Dave, do you think that's necessary? Do you really want to provoke Jake again and get him bent out of shape? Or do you think the Holy Spirit will say, come on, mate, you're better than that. Let's move on. You don't need to do this. You see, we've got to understand the Holy Spirit always talks to us about stuff that we need to sort out. Who agrees with me? All the time. He rebukes us. Yeah? He 
reproves us. He exhorts us. He's saying, if you're not going to stop this, this is going to end poorly for you, mate. Don't go there. You need to stop this now. Hear what the Spirit is saying to us. Hear what we need to say to each other. This is important. Because if I have the Spirit down in me, He's telling me things to speak to Sarah about. He's he's telling me things to speak to, to Margaret about. And I'm doing it not in, a, in, a, in a, an aggressive, judgmental way, but because I love them and I care for them. We've got to be promoters of peace. Not create turmoil. We've not been called to turmoil. We've been called to peace, Scripture says. We can know things and we can teach things. You know things I can, in Scripture that I've never, never thought about. I can learn from you. Teach me, brother. We are generous with our time. We are generous with our talent. We are generous with our treasure. We share our resources with each other. We don't have to struggle all by ourselves. That's not community. Community says, when you're in need of something, Anthony, get on the phone, give me a call, and let me come and give you a hand. That's what Scripture says. I'm there for you. I don't expect each and every us to be a, a, you know, people on our own island. We're, we're all on the same island. And we all got to make this thing happen together. Because that's what it is being, to be missional. And in closing, Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, never tire of doing what is good. He diligently urged the household of faith in Ephesus to treat one another in a manner worthy of their calling. And to get rid of bitterness, to get rid of rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, and rather to choose to be kind to one another, to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven them. Those three scriptures is 2 Thessalonians 3.13. Those would have write them down. 2 Thessalonians 3.13, Ephesians 4.1, and Ephesians 4.31-32. Amen?